Hosanna, Hosanna. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. And then it says, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. (sighs) Wow. Makes me want to cry. Sorry. But that's what it's all about. It's all about knowing Him. It's all about giving our lives to Him. And as we, as we talk tonight, we're going to talk, I'm going to share with you guys out of the chapter of the suffering servant. Who knows what chapter that is? The suffering servant. Probably the greatest chapter prophetically in the Bible that tells us about who Jesus is. Isaiah 53. That's where we're going to be tonight. That's the text we'll be in. Isaiah 53, the book of Isaiah was written around 740 B.C. till about 680 B.C., somewhere around in there. So it was actually written 700 years before Jesus even came on the scene. Now, to put that into perspective, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He got into a boat one day, and then Columbus sailed away. So if you go from 1492 to 2000... That's about 600 years, right? So think about 100 years before that, Columbus's ancestor writing about what was happening right now, prophetically and being accurate, being right about what he was saying. And think about you or me writing today into 2700 and writing down what was going to happen, what is going to happen in 2700 A.D., and being 100% accurate. Put that into perspective. You can't really wrap your mind around that because it's crazy. And yet, all throughout the prophetic books, we see Scripture fulfilled time and time again. And especially in Isaiah 53, talking about the suffering servant, And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So I want you to think about, as we go through this, as we read these scriptures, I want you to think about current events, like like not that Isaiah was writing into the future, which he was, but as they were happening, as we're reading Isaiah, think about how it played out in Jesus' life 700 years after he wrote all this. So, this is kind of a cool side thing. Isaiah means... God is salvation. God is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Isaiah. If we had more kids, I'd name them Isaiah, I think. (laughs) That's good. Anyway, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes 
we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear iniquity, their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Lord Jesus, we just come to you tonight. Isaiah 53 is all about you, Jesus. You're looking into our hearts tonight, Lord. Stir these hearts up in faith, God. Move us to action. Let us know that we know that we know that you are God and there is no other. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And God, as we take these few minutes to pick apart Isaiah 53, I pray, God, it would be life and health to us. And God, I pray that I would get out of the way and let your spirit speak through me, Lord, because it's not all about me. It's about you. Amen. So, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? If we look into the future, to when Jesus came, there's a contradiction going on there. What happened was, is Israel was looking for a conquering king. Somebody was going to relieve the oppression of the Romans. He was going to come and conquer. And so we see that song we were just looking at. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and all the people were crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna! Hosanna means, you saw it, save now. These people are excited because here comes Jesus into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and everybody's going, save now! Save now! But there is a contradiction going on there because eventually, as we all know, Jesus wound up suffering. And so they didn't understand, and everybody fled. They saw Jesus, they saw Jesus dying on the cross, and they fled because the conquering king was not conquering. And yet, and yet, what we see is that he smashed, he destroyed, he overcame. He wiped out death and hell in the grave. Physically, he wasn't even worried about the physical. He's not even worried about us physically right now as much as he is spiritually because this is temporal. Eternity is a long time. And so we want to come to the place in our lives where there's spiritual health happening, where there's spiritual growth going on. And we will overcome in Christ. And he truly is the conquering king. Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now, Jesus. Another thing about, about that, it says, who has believed our report? But then it says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, God's arm, his right arm, his mighty right arm, gives us victory. Don't ever say to yourself, it is my right arm that has given me this victory, because if not, you'll be destroyed. It is his mighty right arm. And we're going to be doing the Passover Seder here next Monday, and I, I hope if you haven't signed up or if you can come, I hope you all come. That sounded southern. I hope you all can come because it's going to be a great time of seeing the parallels between the Old Testament Passover lamb and Jesus, our Passover lamb. But anyway, to stay on point, uh, one of the elements of the Seder is uh, the zeroah or the, the arm. It's the, it's the bone. And so that is our Passover lamb today, as, as, as he was talking about. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He reveals himself and his power to people that believe, that people are of faith. So the, the strength and the power and the might of God are shown in the midst of the suffering of the suffering servant. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So growing up as a tender plant, does that, does that remind you of anything? We, we think about the root of Jesse. And if we look in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10, last week I took you guys from, uh, from uh, Genesis all the way through Revelation. And I, we're going to hang around Isaiah for the most part. So sorry about the... Uh, <laughs> Bible drills last week, but I really felt like that's what God was calling us to. But anyway, um, Isaiah 11.10, it just talks about that. It says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall see him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So not as he, it's going to be his people, Israel, it's going to be God, the Gentiles, Guess who the Gentiles are? That's us. God, God comes, the root of Jesse. Why the root of Jesse? The root of Jesse, the, the Messiah had to come through the line of David. And Jesse being David's dad, there you go. So it just kept on, kept on till we see this, this shoot, this, this young plant. So... Out of the dry ground, Jesus grew up physically in the, in the area of Galilee. The Romans occupied it all. So spiritually it was dry. Politically it was dry. The standard of living was poor. And so that was dry. But out of that dry ground, Jesus, or God, brought the Messiah. And so he grew up as a tender plant, it says, and if we look at, we won't, we won't go there, but Luke 2.52 says, He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So he grew up as a tender plant. He grew up in wisdom. He grew up in stature. But then also it says to us, He has no form of comeliness and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was not a, a guy like Saul. If you remember 
um, Saul, the King Saul, is who I'm speaking of, um, he, was, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was handsome. And when, when Israel wanted a king, they wanted him for king because he was handsome, he was tall. He probably looked a lot like me when I was younger. But, uh, well, okay, honey, I was just kidding. Anyway, so, but, but, he, but, but Jesus wasn't a person that physically you might be drawn to. But, but he was, in the spirit, he definitely was drawing people. So he wasn't wearing robes. He wasn't wearing um, fancy clothes. And when you looked at him when he got crucified, from the crown of his head, he was wearing a, thorn of crown, a crown of thorns all the way down to his heels where he had his feet nailed to the cross. He wasn't very attractive at all. But that doesn't mean that God's plan was not being brought forth through Jesus because he himself was the very God. Verse 3, he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. The word for despised in here and rejected is, is like he's forsaken. Jesus was treated as an outcast among the people. He not only suffered externally because people weren't, he, people weren't drawn to him, but he suffered also internally. Um, in Matthew 23, 37, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. The sorrow that Jesus had was not really for himself, but it was for others. He saw a fallen world, a world that he came to save. Through him, the world might be saved. But he, he came and they rejected him. They despised him. So the sorrow that he felt really was for those in the fallen world because he had come into the world that through the world he might be saved. But they turned his back on him. And the very thing that would have saved them, they rejected. So Jesus, he suffered in body and soul. He, he endured trials. He had the sorrows of the poor. He saw the poor all around him, and he was sorrowful in his heart for that. He was sorrowful. He was delivering people from demons. He saw the mental anguish of people. He saw the spiritual anguish of people that were, they were totally dead. And so all of this was upon him, everything. So why he was a man of sorrows is because he, this all weighed on him. That's why he came. He came to take all of the sorrows, to take it all on himself. So uh, Spurgeon said this, Affliction emptied his quiver upon Jesus, making his heart the target for all conceivable woes. So everything that could be woeful, Jesus took upon himself. He took our grief and our sorrows as though they were his. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Our well-being comes 
because of what Jesus has done for us. He was punished for our guilt. He was beaten for our guilt. He suffered the wrath of God in order to gain our peace. So there's the opportunity for physical healing in Jesus. By by His stripes, we are healed. There's also the emotional healing that can happen. I think just off the top of my head, the Gadarene demoniac. He had a legion of demons in him. And Jesus cast every single one of them out. And like 2,000 swine went busting over a cliff and, and went into the water. So Jesus not only can deliver us and heal us from physical ailments, but he can also heal us from spiritual or emotional ailments. And I know in my own life, um, when I was a lot younger, I struggled severely with uh, insecurity and anxiety and panic attacks and stuff like that. And when I came to know the Lord, the Lord delivered me and healed me. So, I mean, for me, I can tell you that the emotional healing that happened in my own life was incredible. And so I cannot deny that. I've seen what the Holy Spirit of God has done in my life in setting me free. And I'm sure there's people in this room that have seen physical healings. And so we can contend for those. So the word wounded, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. It literally means he was pierced through for our transgressions. And by his stripes we were healed. The prophet Isaiah, he announced that the provisions for healing were found in Jesus as he suffered. Now, we are to contend for healing this side of heaven. But we're not always going to see healing. Why? Because the ultimate healing that God has for us is our resurrected bodies. Because after we are resurrected, the Holy Spirit or God will, we will, there will be no more tears, there will be joy, there will be no more suffering, no more pain. That's not, the, that's not that healings will not happen on this side of heaven. We are to pray and contend for healing. And God will heal. God can heal. But we can't hang our hat on this side of heaven. We can't, we can't hang our faith on that person wasn't healed and they went to be with the Lord, so I'm not going to follow the Lord. That's not it at all. Right now, this momentary light affliction is, is giving us a weight, an eternal weight of glory. And someday we will be glorified. But please pray for healing because God still can heal. Pray for healing. You know, Saul had a thorn in the flesh his entire life. And that thorn in the flesh is the very thing that kept him humble and soft before the Lord. So if we have a thorn in our flesh, why should we be any different? I don't want to pick on anybody. I just thought of a physical healing. Sorry, Levi. My friend Levi, I just met Levi about three months ago. Levi last July had pancreatitis so bad that he went into a coma. The doctors were amazed that he came out of the coma, that he's even still alive. He said his pancreas was like jello. It was so infected, it was like jello. He doesn't even remember a couple days of his life because he was totally out of it and riddled with, with uh, sickness. 
And as a result, he's healed. The doctor's still calling back. He was just at the doctor a week ago, and they said, well, we don't understand why you're healed. We need to run more tests. Certainly there must be something wrong with you because you were so absolutely sick. It's impossible. But there he is, healthy as a horse, way stronger than me. So, so the Lord is good. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to pick on him, but, but I just, it's just the faithfulness of God. In other words, that doesn't mean we don't pray for healing. But Levi's healthy. God healed him. But, but as a result of Levi going through that sickness, he told me that before he was kind of like a lukewarm, nominal, Sunday morning Christian. Now you can't keep the guy away. He's always here. <laughs> He's always everywhere. But praise God, because it's through that affliction that Levi has surrendered himself to Jesus. So, you know, we, we can't... We can't uh, scorn our afflictions because through those afflictions, many times it draws us closer to the Lord. So, so don't, don't fear those things, but pray through them and know that God will heal you even if his total healing is when you see him face to face. And that is better. So, Levi, I'm sorry you're still here. No, just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we have, like sheep, have gone astray. Has anybody ever raised sheep besides me? Yeah, thanks, Kirk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jerry, yeah, you're Mrs. Sheep. I mean, in fact, I think we bought our first sheep from you guys, actually, a long, long time ago. But anyway, sheep are dumb. Sheep do their own thing. They don't want to do what you want them to do. And they stink and everything else. And that's kind of like us. We're, we're called sheep, okay? So all of us like sheep, we've wandered away from the right path and we've, in, we've indulged in our, our ungodly desires. And God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin by, that every person that had ever committed and that he was perfectly innocent of any sin. He put all of, God put all of that sin on him. And each way that is our own way instead of the Lord's way is sinful, destructive, and, and just deadly. But God makes it that all of our sin is placed on Jesus. So we have turned to our own way and the Lord has laid the iniquity all of the sin, all of the grief, everything on Jesus. Verse 7, he, is, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Well, we know that Jesus was recognized time and time again in the Bible as the Lamb of God. And I know John, in just one place, John one twenty nine says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus was led to slaughter as a sheep before its shears, yet he opened not his mouth. And you, Jesus never defended himself. He never went to, when he went to Pilate, he never said, Do you realize who I am? I am really the King of kings and Lord of lords. He went before the, the Sanhedrin. He, did, he didn't say, well, no, you guys don't get it. I'm really the king of kings and lord of lords. They had to ask him, who, do you, who are you? Are you not going to answer us? Are you not going to open your mouth? Are you not going to defend yourself? But, but Isaiah says that he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to slaughter. Now that 
Closed mouth doesn't mean Jesus was weak. Jesus was meek. That means strength under control. Strength under control. Meek, but not weak. In fact, in John 10, 18, Jesus said this, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. John 19.11 says, Jesus answered, he said, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given given you from above. So Jesus was not weak. He was meek. Power, strength under control. He could have called down legions of angels and totally destroyed. One of my favorite stories, this is an aside and we got plenty of time, so that's good, is in John when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is in there praying and Judas brings, I don't know, 600 guys to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says to the guys, he goes, who are you looking for? And he says, we're looking for Jesus. He said, I am he. And, he, and it says, when, he, when they heard that, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, we've got like multiple hundreds of people coming into the Garden of Gethsemane to take Jesus captive. And yet, when they said, they said who they're looking for, and he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's not weak, folks. That's, <laughs> that's meek. That's, he could have destroyed him, but he didn't. So verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And I think the the thing I want to mainly point out here, it says there, it says, for he was cut off from the land of the living. This is the first time in Isaiah 53 that it will actually find out that Jesus is actually going to die. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Thanks, got a fire hose. (laughs) So, it's the first time that we actually see Jesus is going to die. Up till this point, he's going to get beaten. He's marred. He's got crown of thorns, whatever. But this is where we actually see that he's going to die. The phrase, cut off, strongly suggests not only a violent, premature death, but also the just judgment of God, not simply the oppressive judgment of men. So in other words, what that's saying is it's God's righteous judgment that is poured out on Jesus and not the oppressive judgment of man. Because the Jews didn't like Jesus, they're going to kill him. That's oppressive. But the righteous judgment of God is a holy God that can't look on sin. And God placed everything. Jesus took everything. And it was all laid on him. And he died for our sins. I know the the, the Jews have a hard time with Isaiah 53 because it's messianic. And they, they were looking for that conquering king. And so one of, the, one of the outs on that is, says, well, this is talking about Israel. But it can't be talking about Israel because Israel, the whole nation of Israel, never died. You know, So just to keep that in mind, that's an aside. But anyway, Isaiah brings home this point again and again and again. 
that Jesus is not suffering for himself, but for the transgressions of the people. Verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Well, Jesus hung on a cross between two robbers or murderers or whatever. Anyway, they were bad guys, and they were right, rightfully being crucified for what they had done. But Jesus was righteous. He was pure. He had no sin. And yet, the intention probably, this is, this is um, my thought, is that those three men would have just been placed and just buried together or buried in just a tomb anywhere. But what happened was, uh, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, after Jesus died, he came and he took Jesus' body. They took Jesus' body and they took that, uh, his body to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. So he was buried ultimately with the rich. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In Matthew twenty six thirty nine, it makes it clear that it was the Father's will to see his son be crucified. The Father did this out of love for the rest of the world as he proclaimed it in John 3.16. So, I don't know, you've got to keep bringing this back home that it wasn't Jesus, anything Jesus did. Everything was laid on Jesus for us. And Jesus became the sacrificial Passover lamb, also known as the Lamb of God. So, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. It was always planned, it was ordained by God from the beginning that Jesus would go to the cross and that he would have all of this laid upon him. That is God's victory over death, hell, and the grave. That is not Satan's victory. God destroyed the the works of the enemy. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. And the enemy lost, and he has not been happy since then, and that's why we see all the stuff going on in this world today. You can, you can look at the newspaper, you can look at the television, you can be talking to somebody. There is so much stuff going on right now, but Matthew 24 says, do not be troubled, because this is all the beginning, that God has it all in control, and all we have to do is be his people and love him, and serve him, and allow him to be our all in all. And it's sometimes, you know, you kind of look around and go, wow, this is pretty bad. <laughs> no, this is good because that means Jesus might be coming sooner than we, than we hope. So. so, when you make his soul an offering for sin, the idea of make his soul an offering for sin is the substitutionary death that we should die. We should die that death, but he came and he died this substitutionary death for us. Now, the death and the burial of Jesus 
The story doesn't end there. He lives on. It says, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see his seed. Well, Jesus was never married, so how can he see his seed? Well, guess what? We're his seed. John Roberts is his seed. Young John Roberts and old Joshua Papik, they are the seed of the Lord. And we're all his children. In Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So any of us in this room who has saving faith in Christ is, a, is the seed, is the child, is the, the heir. We are the, the ones spiritually who are his children. And then in verse 11 it says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The Messiah will have no regrets. Every bit of the suffering and agony that he's gone through is worth it because in the end, he has his heritage he has, we are his children. He has defeated the devil. He has overcome. And so he will be satisfied. In knowing the Messiah, in both who he is and what he has done, that's what makes us justified before God. It's not just who he is. Understanding who he is is important, but also understanding what he's done for us. He saved us. It's not our right arm that saved us. Therefore I will divide him, verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So the, the suffering servant will be victorious over his enemies in the end. Jesus will reign during the millennial kingdom where he will rule as king of kings and lord of lords with no satanic influence. He will not have to divide the spoil with anybody, but he chooses to divide the spoil with his children because we will be with him we will share in the spoil of Jesus' victory. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And then because God, because he poured out his soul unto death, Jesus' totality, the total sacrifice on the cross, all of it was, all of it was accomplished, everything, every single thing, there's nothing left. There's nothing more that he could give. There's nothing more that he could do. He gave it all. 
so that we could have it all, have all of what he, all his kingdom. He bore the sins of many over and over again. The prophets emphasize that point. The servant of the Lord, the Messiah, suffers on behalf and in the place of the guilty sinners. And I have said that like 20 times tonight, but I can't drive it home enough. We have to realize that is what it's all about. And made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus has a ministry of intercession for us. He ever sits or stands in front of the throne of God making intercession for us. When we are weak, he is strong through us. He is always making intercession for us. So, that's Isaiah 53 in a nutshell. Um, It is just a vivid expose of the suffering servant and all what he's done, who he is, and who he will be and who we will be when we are with him forever and ever. So, Hosanna, save now. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus.